Support for KQBD Podcasts comes from San Francisco International Airport. SFO is proud to celebrate San Francisco pride with a float in this year's parade and live entertainment in the terminals. How will you show your pride? Learn more at flysfo.com slash celebrates. Take your Wi-Fi further with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity. With fast speeds and reliable coverage, home just got even sweeter with the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Alex Hall in San Francisco. Another confirmed case of the Omicron variant of the coronavirus has been detected, this time in Los Angeles County. According to public health officials, the infected person is an L.A. resident who had traveled to South Africa, returning to Southern California late last month. The individual is fully vaccinated and their condition is said to be improving. A small number of close contacts have been identified and so far, all have tested negative for COVID-19. Meanwhile, as KPCC's Jackie Fortier reports, with the new variant now discovered in California, testing will be stepped up at LAX. In order to find people who may be infected, rapid tests, which give a positive or negative result within minutes, will be offered for free starting December 3rd to any incoming international travelers at LAX. Barbara Ferrer is director of the county health department. The testing at the airport for international travelers, it is voluntary. We will have our health workers uh, out there as well, talking to people, making sure they understand the importance of testing. And again, we're using a rapid antigen test there. If a traveler tests positive, they'll need to quarantine and be given a more detailed test to determine which strain of the virus they have. The goal is to catch Omicron cases before they leave the airport. Scientists are racing to determine if the new variant poses more of a threat than existing strains of the virus. For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. The redistricting process is soon coming to a close as the commission tasked with drawing new district lines gets ready to submit its final maps. One of the commission's biggest challenges has been to draw the lines in a way that preserves the voting power of California's growing Latino population. And a lot of those voters are in the Central Valley. To help us make sense of all of this, I called Lori Pesante with the Dolores Huerta Foundation. And I started by asking her, what's at stake? The next 10 years of decision-making depends on what happens in this redistricting process for the state of California, um, throughout the nation, and specifically for the Central Valley. All of the ways in which we are hoping to solve our biggest challenges, climate change, um, economic um, strength, etc. The Central Valley plays a key role in those decisions, and redistricting is going to determine whether or not the power to solve those problems is fairly allocated um, throughout all levels of government. And then I, I understand that you've also been on the ground communicating with people about how this process works, how they can get involved. Is that right? We have really been working with people who have been impacted um, negatively by the policies of the last 10 years since this redistricting process occurred. And so, for example, we started our process by having a community of interest survey. So basically, tell us about your community, tell us about 
you know, what it's like to live in your community and what kinds of issues you're facing. We took those surveys to vaccination clinics. We took them to food banks. We took them door to door. We sent them out digitally. And all of the people who expressed an interest in learning more and getting involved, we invited them to join us at our workshops and to actually draw and submit maps for the different jurisdictions that I outlined. What is your main concern with this process? We have three quarters of our population are members of protected classes. They are members of um, communities of color. And in particular, the Latino community now is over 50% of every single Central Valley County. And because of that, the commission is legally obligated to draw Voting Rights Act districts that make sure that protected classes like Latinos have their votes count and that they are not diluted or disempowered in any way. And I do not believe the commission has drawn effective Voting Rights Act districts yet. There are many things that they're doing very well, but there is definitely still some work that needs to be done, especially in Bakersfield and Fresno. What's next? What are you going to be watching for? Right now, we are watching the state commission's meetings. Currently, they're having a meeting every single day this week related to evaluating public comment and changing some of the lines on those draft maps. And they have a deadline of December 27th. So it's really important that if people want to learn about this process and have their voices be heard, especially in marginalized areas, definitely reach out to organizations like the Dolores Huerta Foundation so that you can engage in some peer learning and feel very confident that you are giving information to the commission that is helpful to them. Lori Pesante is Director of Civic Engagement and Government Relations with the Dolores Huerta Foundation. Lori, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Alex. BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, KQED listeners, I'm right now as podcast host Pendarvis Harshaw, dropping a line to invite you to a summer evening of live contemporary jazz at the KQED headquarters in San Francisco, Thursday, June 20th at 7 p.m. We've got a stacked lineup of dope musicians, including vocalist Jamie Z, saxophonist Lydia Rodriguez, and harpist Destiny Muhammad. And Newsflash is the closing event for our podcast. We've had a great run, so help us celebrate the end of this chapter. Get tickets to Liner Notes Live at kqed.org slash events. And now for part two of an investigation we brought you yesterday. KQED's Farida Javala Romero has been investigating the state's failure to enforce regulations meant to protect farm workers and others exposed to wildfire smoke. She found that earlier this year, lawmakers tried to boost enforcement, but Governor Gavin Newsom's administration stepped in and blocked their efforts. At a food bank in the town of Viola in Fresno County, volunteers help Alejandra Beltran load groceries into cardboard boxes and carry them to her pickup truck. What does it need? Beltran is a farm worker. This fall, she worked in the fields harvesting grapes for raisins, she says, including shifts and thick wildfire smoke. 
personally me it affects me on my you know my chest and I get very like a horsey voice and then produces a lot of cough. Tiny particles and wildfire smoke can trigger asthma attacks, strokes, and other serious health problems. Since 2019, California employers have been required to protect workers when smoke levels become unhealthy by offering them N95 masks, for example, or moving them indoors. But farm workers like Beltran told us they never heard about those regulations. She says she never got an N95, nor the training employers are supposed to give workers about the health hazards of smoke. As far as my knowledge, we weren't told anything. An estimated 4 million Californians work outdoors. But data obtained by KQED and the California Newsroom show that over the more than two years the smoke regulations have been in place, the state dispatched inspectors to only 26 employers. That led to just 11 citations for violations of the wildfire smoke standard. 11 violations, you know, obviously is a very low number. California Assemblyman Robert Rivas chairs the Assembly's Agriculture Committee. He introduced a bill that would have required the government to send strike teams of inspectors to the fields whenever smoke levels become dangerous. Having a mechanism of enforcement is incredibly important. But the provision was deleted last summer after opposition from Governor Gavin Newsom's administration. That's according to internal documents we viewed and interviews with people close to the negotiations. You know, my effort here was not trying to penalize growers in any way and, you know, uh, or the agricultural industry, but it was to, you know, achieve a level of accountability. Governor Newsom's press office did not respond to multiple requests for comment. And neither did his Labor and Workforce Development Agency, which documents show wanted the strike teams removed. Dan Lucido did talk to us. As acting chief of Kalosha, she's in charge of enforcing the smoke rules. She also didn't want to comment on the changes to the bill. To the extent that any amendments were made, it would have been the author's decision to amend the bill, not ours. Lucido says her agency is a leader in providing worker protections, including against wildfire smoke. She says Kalosha is not opposed to sending strike teams out on smoky days. She acknowledged they've been short on outreach and blamed the pandemic. But now she says the agency is trying to get the word out about the smoke regulations, like through this video in English and Spanish posted on their website. In California, el humo de los incendios puede afectar a los lugares de trabajo que se But many farm workers say they still don't know about the protections. So the rule's not working, says Nayamin Martinez. She directs the Central California Environmental Justice Network. I, I always find it very ironic when the agencies brag about, oh, we have the most stringent rules in the entire nation. Well, you can have rules, but if you don't enforce them, then there's nothing good out of them. Martinez's organization surveyed more than 300 farm workers in San Joaquin Valley earlier this year. Nearly 60% reported that their employers did not provide N95 masks or that they did not know what N95s were. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. And now a preview of our sister show, The California Report's Weekly Magazine. KQED's Polly Stryker has this preview of her profile of a commune for people with special needs in Half Moon Bay. If you're a parent, you know the fear of dying before your child is old enough to care for themselves. 
But what if your child will always need some extra care? Jeff Peck knows this fear. There's that clawing specter, that haunting, grinding specter in your mind. What's going to happen when you pass? Peck's adult daughter has developmental disabilities. He's been coaching her and others in Special Olympics basketball. Over the years, the parents have watched their children grow into adults and close friends. They come back year after year after year. They started when they were eight, some of them are 30, some of them started when they were 20, now they're in their 40s, but they keep coming back because that's the community which they created. Peck figured, why not solidify this community of weekend basketball players into something self-sustaining that could last past the parents' lifetimes? He donated land he bought in Half Moon Bay, and thus, Big Wave was born. Aside from housing now under construction, there will be shops and a cafe where the grown-up children can work. Already, there's a farm. And people eager to live on this 20-acre plot of land, like Matthew Cadigan Hearn, who's in his mid-30s and on the autism spectrum. I am just hoping I can be a part of a community that accepts me for what I am and not having me be something I am not. The plan is, Big Wave will be a place where Hearn can live for the rest of his life among friends. For The California Report, I'm Polly Stryker in Half Moon Bay. You can listen to the full story about Big Wave on The California Report magazine. Check your local radio listings or subscribe to the podcast. And that's the California Report for Friday, December 3rd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin and Danny Bringer, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Tovin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Alex Hall in San Francisco. Thanks for listening. Support for the California Report comes from Real California Milk, reminding listeners to take three simple steps to recycle gallon milk jugs. Pour it, cap it, bin it. Learn more at RecycleTheJug.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together. On the web at SchmidtFutures.com. And the California Healthcare Foundation, working to build a more effective, compassionate, and just healthcare system on the web at chcf.org slash health equity. Take your Wi-Fi further with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity. With fast speeds and reliable coverage, home just got even sweeter with the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.